Who wants to hear from Pastor Vicky on how presents went? Come on. Really? She's, hang on, she's cursing me now because I didn't tell her I was going to do That's this. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. It was, it was absolutely brilliant. And as Pastor Chris said earlier, we really highly recommend it as a fabulous, fabulous conference. And if there's any way possible that you can register today for $99 and start saving, as Chris said, really... $20 a week would do it, and it's not really that much to put aside. The problem is most people wait until it's next year, nearly there, and then go, oh, I can't afford to go. You can afford if you start now, and it's well worth going. We had a fabulous time. It's incredible to see what's happening globally and what God's doing and to meet new people, to hear what's going on around the world. It's just an amazing time. So I recommend it to you. Well done. I'd love to tell you what sort of things we heard. Uh, I know a lot of you hopefully uh, saw some of it on live streaming. Uh, there were some really great uh, moments where our worship leaders were up on stage, front and centre. Uh, they weren't given a microphone so we couldn't hear them singing, but I'm sure they were doing a fabulous job. Um, we ha heard some amazing speakers from around the world. Uh, we even heard some uh, amazing stories from more local people. Darlene Czech was there not only to sing but to tell her story, which was absolutely inspiring. Um, and so you know, it was a, it was a, f a fabulous week. Uh, exhausting. I mean, by the first day I had enough to come home. I was, I was done. Um, but there were two more days and it's... It's an experience that is actually for the local church. Um, it's not done to, to make everybody feel good because there's thousands of people. It's actually done to send the, the people who go home with a renewed heart, with renewed strength, with new vision, new revelation. Uh, and so it's not, in, in that sense, it's not just for us as a church. It's for the people outside the walls of our church. It's for the people who don't know Jesus. It's, it's an impacting experience beyond just the fact that we went, we heard, we had a good time, good coffee, the occasional reasonable coffee, never a bad coffee. But yeah, I can't encourage you enough to, to get along and uh, experience that sort of thing. But today, anyway, I'm going to change the topic slightly and I'm going to talk about being and doing. And who's, who's, ever, who's heard that phrase, we're human beings, not human doings? Who thinks that's a nice phrase? Interesting, catchy? Well, it's interesting because it's usually used to indicate that we are more important than the sum of our actions. That our skill set or our job doesn't define us. And that we're actually more defined by what we express from our heart and our core beliefs. And that's far more important when it comes to proving ourselves worthy for God. Would you agree? He doesn't care about your job. He cares about your, your beliefs and your core values. No, he doesn't. He doesn't actually care about those any more than your job in terms of your salvation. Because see... We get this idea that somehow who we are 
is our redeeming characteristic. But other people don't know who we are because we lie to people. And we, don't, we don't want to tell people who we are. And so we put on a front and a mask and we pretend to people about who we really are. The thing that's interesting about that is that most people can see through the mask really easily. And yet, even knowing that, we still put one on. Have you noticed that? I know that the real me shines through. You can't help it. What you really are, what you believe, what, what you think comes out in your actions, your words, everything you do. And yet we try and hide it. And yet we've exposed ourselves to everybody. Hopefully not in that way. So here in the book of Galatians, we've got Paul who's had a, a revelation about how God thinks of him. And he tells his life story fairly bluntly to express both the best of human expression and the worst of human expression. That's fun, my notes have gone black. <laughs> and if we look in Galatians chapter 1 verse 13, he's here admitting that he says, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion. How violently I persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. He doesn't sound like a nice man. By the time Jesus met Paul or Saul as he was then on the road to Damascus, he'd killed thousands of innocent people. And he was on his way to kill more. He was a man filled with hate. His core values, his beliefs were such that he thought that putting people to the sword was a really good idea. You know, how would he be as your next door neighbour? Who lives next door to you? Oh, this is Saul. He, he, he loves to go around killing people. Hates Christians. Um, he's, you know, a really nice guy as long as you don't get on the wrong side of him because he'll run you through. I mean, it's not, it's a sort of, he'd feature on one of those TV programs, The Neighbours from Hell. And so, he, he, on one hand, was somebody who was full of hate and, and was a murderer. And yet, on the other hand, he was an extremely well-educated person and was somebody who was extremely religious. In verse 14, the very next verse, he says, I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. He knew the Old Testament backwards, forwards, sideways, up and down. Sounds very boring, really. But he was somebody who knew his religion inside and out and followed it to the letter. He would have been, he I mean, apart from the sin of pride, which he appears to have here, I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in, in following what I believed God was teaching me to do. And so he was a, a religious person as well. He'd spent years living according to Jewish custom and tradition, better than anybody else in his generation. And yet his religious observance hadn't made him right with God. So his experience is a graphic example of how the gospel actually calls us out of religion as much as it calls us out of irreligion. New word. Or unbelief. 
And so Paul actually, in two very quick verses, gives us the worst and the best of what we as, as people like to consider our, our behaviour and our, our moral standing and shows that no matter how bad you get and no matter how good you think you are, none of it matters. No one is so good they don't need the grace of the gospel. No one is so bad that they can't receive the grace of the gospel. Paul was deeply religious, but he needed the gospel. He was deeply flawed, and yet he could still be reached with the gospel. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. Who's heard of C.S. Lewis? He wrote The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and a few other good books. He actually, he actually said, Christianity must be from God because who else would have thought it up? And he said, it's so ridiculous that it has to come from God because nobody, no human being in their right mind would ever have put together a religion like Christianity because it just doesn't make sense. You can't be good enough and you can't be bad enough. Nothing you can do can alter what God is doing. So if Paul couldn't be anything special to receive salvation and he couldn't do anything special to receive salvation, who's doing all the work? God is. God works in our lives despite the things that we do. In fact, often the things that we do, I mean, when I first went to church in 1989, sometime around there, um, Vicky and I had been living a very secular life. I wasn't actually particularly looking for God, hadn't murdered terribly many people, so I wasn't as bad as Paul. <laughs> but I came from a, a background where I hadn't, I hadn't been working for God, is, is a, I guess a simple way of putting it. And yet, when I got saved and looked back on my life, I could see that God had had his muddy little fingers in my life all the time. He was there behind the scenes doing even things that I did which were totally anti-God, he was turning them around without me knowing, being really sneaky, without my permission either, and turning them into things which would lead me into my calling. This isn't the first time God has done this sort of thing. Who's heard of Joseph? I mean, Joseph was a, was a pretty arrogant little twerp. He had this dream, a really good dream, I might add, and, but he gets up in the morning and he tells the rest of his family, hey, God has spoken to me and said that I am going to be boss of all of you. Right? And the rest of his brothers did that normal thing, you're not the boss of me. But they were, they were actually so ticked, more so than most kids today, that they said, you're not the boss of me and we're going to kill you. Nice brothers. So they chucked him in a hole and then one of the brothers thought, nah, perhaps not kill him. Let's sell him as a slave. That's much better. Th yeah, that, that's the, I mean, who's, who's ever wanted to do that to their brother or sister? Sell him into slavery would be a really good idea. Well, these guys didn't just think it. They did it. They sold Joseph into slavery. But the thing is, the dream he had was real. God wanted him to be the deliverer of his people. 
And so he was well on, on track. He was a slave. He goes to work for this guy, Potiphar, and turns out he's a really good slave. Turns out he's a really handsome slave too. And Potiphar's wife gets the hots for him. He turns her down, vengeful mistress, says, okay, this guy raped me, send him to prison. You can see what he, how he's on track here for sort of a ministry in, with God. He's in prison. Turns out to be a very good prisoner. And so he's put in charge of a lot of the prisoners. And he, get, he, he makes a few friends and he helps a few friends out and helps them get out of prison. And they have an opportunity to help him get out of prison. But they forget and they leave him there. So he's doing really well. He's, he's languishing in this prison and he's supposed to be the deliverer of Israel. And suddenly, out of prison, the Pharaoh reminds somebody who remembers something, who drags him out of prison. Pharaoh hears his story and says, okay, you can be prime minister. What? And he makes him second in charge of the whole land of Egypt. A, a, prison, a guy straight out of prison. Great track record, this guy. If you'd read his CV, it's like, okay, right. Yes, prime minister material. Hmm. Might be something in that. Um, <laughs> let's not go there. Um, but he then, uh, and this is, I mean, this is all through Genesis chapter 37. And it's not until chapter 50 that suddenly he confronts his brothers and reveals himself to actually be the saviour of Israel that God had destined him to be. And when you look back on his story, you sort of think, well, how did he get there? Because it wasn't through anything Joseph did. He, he, he didn't go to the best Bible colleges. He didn't study at Prime Minister's school to learn how to be a Prime Minister. Which is, I guess, what you do at Prime Minister's school. <laughs> well, I don't think there is one, because from what I've heard about a lot of Prime Ministers, they don't always do a good job. Um, but... This sort of thing happens a lot. It happened in my life. It's probably happened in your life. That the things that you weren't doing for God, God can turn into something which brings you to a place of destiny and what He wants for you. I mean, Paul had been resisting God. He had been doing so much wrong, but in all of that time, God was overruling His intentions and bringing him to a place where He was actually going to be converted in a miraculous way and used in a whole new way to actually spread the gospel to the Gentiles who'd never heard it before. Not what you call your typical career path. But he had, every, he had Old Testament knowledge, he had zeal, he had training. Even the effort he put in to oppose God and the church were used by God to equip him to be God's instrument for building the church. God had been working all along to use Paul to establish the very faith that he opposed. God can be sneaky. But Paul didn't do it. It wasn't his religious zeal that got him saved. And it wasn't his murderous ways that prevented him from getting saved. It was just that God had a plan. And God doesn't need our permission for God's plans to come to pass. Some people hate that idea. Because who's in control here? Come on, be honest. We all like to control our lives. We all like to think that 
man or the woman, that nobody can tell us what to do, that we have our life planned out and that we give God a bit of space in it because after all he's God and we should acknowledge that. But we like to think we're in control. Paul's story, I think, is the greatest example of it. doesn't matter how low you sink, doesn't matter how high you think you're going, God is in control. The gospel gives us glasses. You say, what's wrong with my eyesight? I don't need glasses. Put the glasses of the gospel on. Because when you do, it enables you to see something that you can't see otherwise. We can review our own lives through those glasses and see God preparing us and shaping us, even through our own failures and sin become vessels of his grace throughout this world but unless we look at it often we can't see it we don't believe that we can do what God calls us to do we don't believe we're worthy we don't believe we're holy enough we don't believe we're capable enough or we just see other people around us and think well they're better at it than I I am so I'm going to leave it to them God will allow you to do that but he would rather we engaged. He would rather we put those glasses on, looked at our lives and thought, wow, I might have been an incredibly magnificent stuff up in my life, but God is using me anyway. If God can use me, he can use anyone. Who's ever heard that said? You see famous preachers with churches of 25,000 getting up the front and saying, God can use me, he can use anyone. And you look at him and say, yeah, right. Yeah, look at you, look at what you've got. But we don't know the journey that they've been. We look at success and we think, well, okay, they got it in an envelope with a a gold crest on it. Ooh, you're going to be the success this decade or this lifetime or whatever. No, they, they struggled with things. They had battles to fight. They had huge barriers to overcome. And when we look at our lives, we think that because we don't get in the news or our church isn't 25,000 yet, that we're, there's, there's something wrong with us. The thing is that there's something wrong with all of us. God doesn't look at what's wrong with us because he, he loves us anyway. He looks at what we're prepared to do for him. And sometimes if we just step out and say, okay, well, if you think I can do that, let's let's do it. He'll actually make things happen. So why did it all happen to Paul? Why did God choose, prepare, and then call Paul the proud persecutor of his church? Was it because he was in some way pleasing to God? doesn't seem likely it was actually simply because God was pleased to do so God set his loving grace on Paul not because he was worthy of it because he just took delight in doing it God delights in looking at us and calling us worthy Moses tells God's people in Deuteronomy in chapter 7 Verses 7 and 8, 
The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you are more numerous than the other nations. For you are the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you and he was keeping the oath that he'd sworn to your ancestors. That is why the Lord rescued you with such a strong hand from your slavery and from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He didn't choose you because you had qualities that he admired. He chose you because he loves you. That's an See, that's a frightening thing in some ways because it makes us realize how helpless we are to earn God's love. But you see, God doesn't love us because we're serviceable. We're useful in the kingdom of God. God doesn't love us more because we put our hands up for kids' church. (laughs) 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 Ashley thinks you're more serviceable if you put your hand up for kids' church. Or if you're a barista or working on the sound desk. Or singing masterfully on the worship team. It's not our service. He loves us simply because he loves us. It's actually the only kind of love you can ever be secure in. Because if you think about it, it's the only kind of love you can never lose. Because nothing you can do can get it to you. But once you've got it, nothing you can do make you lose it that has got to be the best sort of love ever it's called grace and that's what we sit under we sit under grace we sit here this morning broken vessels none of us perfect people who are involved in kids church are of course slightly more perfect (laughs) this isn't actually a volunteer drive but if you'd like to speak to the people after the service I'm sure that they would like you to elevate you to a level of greater serviceability in the kingdom of God but the hardest thing I think is to understand how that applies in, in our lives because we, one of the things that I heard at Presence which I thought was amazing was that God operates in our lives and he looks at our lives and sometimes he removes things from our lives that are bad for us. Who who thinks that's, who would like God to remove things from their life that are bad for them? I mean, it would be really good if God removed temptation for all sorts of things, wouldn't it? But you know what the problem is? When God removes things from our lives, we spend a lot of our time trying to get them back again. Because we think we're missing out. Often our prayers are answered and then we go back on our prayers. No, no, that's not what I meant. <laughs> I don't, no, 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 don't, don't take that away. But we need to recognize that when God's operating in our lives, it's for our, for our benefit. That he can actually use us where we are. That the things that are in our lives at the moment that we feel are holding us back aren't holding God back. They are holding us back. But I've just told you that nothing we can do changes God's opinion of us. Because they're not holding God back. 
if we would let go of them and let God do what he needs to do in our lives, they wouldn't hold us back anymore. It's a bit too simple, isn't it? Can you guys all stand with me? I want us to do something really simple for a moment. I just want, want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine yourself as a glass jar. Now I want you to imagine your sin as mud inside that jar. Now some of you may be thinking the jar's full of mud right now. Some of you may be thinking there's just a few specks of mud clinging to the side. But it doesn't really matter. Some of you may falsely be thinking there's no mud. But I just want you to visualize. Now, be honest. It's very unlikely that anybody here has their life absolutely chock-a-block overflowing with sin. So let's not be falsely humble or sinful. As much as that nobody here has a spotless clean life we're not here to lie to God but we need to have a, an image at least of what we would acknowledge are the sins in our lives now once you've got that picture in your mind I want to picture you as this glass vessel with this mud sitting under a tap water flowing out of it at a great rate of knots that fills the jar of your life with clean, fresh running water. And it fills that jar and it overflows. But it keeps pouring in. Guess what overflows out of that jar? Muddy water. But as it keeps flowing, The amount of mud that's flowing out gets less and less because the amount of mud in the jar gets less and less. Notice I didn't say you had to turn the tap on. The only thing we have to do is put the jar under the tap. If we position ourselves so that God's grace can flow into our lives, that is as far as our control extends. God isn't putting a trickle into some jars and a torrent into others. Heaven is open. The full force, the full weight of the kingdom of God is flowing into every single one of those jars. And we just have to believe. And the thing is, as it's flowing, God uses us. It doesn't matter whether there's still mud flowing out of your jar. It doesn't matter whether you think it's clean water coming out. As long as we are standing under that flow, God will use us. It's not actually about checking the overflow to see how clean the water is. 
God doesn't care. He just cares that you put it under the flow. Deep down, a lot of us are hoping that that flow will clean us completely so then we can be used by God. No. We can be used by God right now. Even if your jar's three quarters full and the, the, the mud is still flowing out everywhere, God doesn't care. God's not, God's not waiting till we're clean before he says, okay, now you can be used. He's just waiting for us to open our hearts so the flow of grace can come into our lives. As soon as that flows, God can and will use you. Because he's not looking for us to be perfect. He's not looking for us to earn sinlessness. He's just looking for us to accept His grace in our lives. Let God's grace flow. standing and everybody's got their eyes closed. You may not have ever experienced God's grace because you'd never asked God into your life. You've never said, okay, I want Jesus to be my Lord. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ so that that grace can flow into my life. Or you may have said it at some stage but recognized that you've moved out from under that flow of grace and are no longer living with God's grace flowing in your life. Because God will always accept our decision to move back into that flow if we've moved out of it or to take that first step to move into it if we've never done it before. And all it takes is for us to stand up and acknowledge be our Lord and Saviour. So while everybody's eyes are closed, if you're standing here this morning and you've never invited Jesus into your heart, or you feel that you need to re-invite him because you've moved out from under that flow of grace, just looking around, I want you to just to raise your hand high right now so that I can see it. And I'll pray a prayer with you to invite Jesus into your life so that you can also undertake that flow of grace to accept that grace from God. Is there anyone here this morning who wants to do that? Raise your hand high so that I can see it. If that's you this morning. Holy God. Thank you. I see that hand. Okay. Can everybody open their eyes? everyone to join me in this prayer together with me and the person who raised their hand just to reinforce even if you've said this prayer before how important it is so repeat after me dear Lord I accept the sacrifice of your son Jesus to forgive my sins I accept him now as my Lord and as my Savior. 
I will follow him the rest of my days. I am now a son or a daughter of Jesus Christ. Amen.